Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. This is the word of God. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, Thanks, Daniel. Um, There's an author by the name uh, James K.A. Smith. Uh, He wrote a really interesting and and helpful book, I think, called You Are What You Love. Uh, And and in this book, he, he talks about how during the, the Protestant Reformation, uh, there was this big emphasis on, on getting right doctrine. It was really good. Um, but when he talked about one of the uh, unintended consequences of it is that uh, uh, during that time and, and those who, who love uh, the, the Reformation and, and things like that, they can be a, a bit heady. It can be a lot about getting the, the right doctrine and getting everything kind of square on paper, believing the right things and not uh, believing the, the, the wrong things. Uh, and one of the things that James K.A. Smith said was that in a way, and for some, Christianity got reduced to, to people just being brains on a stick. You know, you just got to communicate ideas, get them thinking the right things, believing the right things, and that's the, the, the gist of, of Christianity. Um, and so, so what he was saying was, was that that's not good and we have to somehow get, get away from that. And, and, and some of us can kind of operate like that too. Like when we think about Christianity, we might mostly think about making sure we believe the right things, that we're in the right camps on certain theological issues. So that's one way to kind of approach Christianity. Another way might be more behavioral. And when you think about Christianity, you think about sin management, going to try to sin less, and, and do more, more right and, and good things. Uh, and, and, and certainly that's, that's good. Uh, we, we want to do that. But if we reduce Christianity to uh, trying to, to not do bad things and to start doing good things, then, then that's going to be a problem too. Uh, now, there's a, there's a place for all this. Obviously, learning, like if you're going to follow Jesus, then you need to be a learner. You need to be a student. You need to study and hear God's word taught. There is bad doctrine out there. You need to be able to discern it. And certainly, there's, a, there's an element of behavior, right? You want to sin less and you want to live a godly life. But I, I don't think that is, is where ultimate change comes from. So like for you or anybody you know, if they have not changed, if you haven't changed, it's not that, hey, you really need to read this good book or need to hear this good sermon. I just don't think we change through, through the head, primarily, through, through learning right. God might use that, but I don't think that's ultimately what changes us. And then I also don't think it's behavioral. I, I don't think it's just like, just quit doing this thing and then you'll, you'll change. So, so for me, I remember in college, I thought like I wanted to change. And, I, and, and for me, I wasn't that smart. So I was thinking I just need to quit doing all the bad stuff I was doing. But I was focusing on my behavior and it just didn't quite work. I'd have a good run for a week or two, but then I wouldn't actually change. So if learning isn't the main way we change, and if just trying to, to focus on our behavior isn't the, way may, the, 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 the main way that we change, 
what should be our main concern? Like, how is it that if you've changed in your life, how is it that you've changed? And, and what I think, the, the, the thing that ultimately changes a person, I believe it starts with the heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. So the desire to learn, to even have right doctrine, that's downstream from a heart that wants to learn and know their God. And, and changing behavior is downstream from a heart that wants to change, that wants to turn away from sin and turn to God. And so I, I think true and lasting change happens when the heart changes. And, and we need to think about what a healthy heart looks like and what a sick heart looks like. And we need to know this because we need to know what we're changing from and what we're changing to. And, and I think Jeremiah 17 is, is helpful letting us know something about the heart because the way to know what a heart is like is to find out what that heart has placed its trust in, what, what, what that heart is hoping in. And, and a sick heart is going to, to place their trust in man and have its hope in man. And a healthy heart is going to trust in the Lord, or as it says here, whose trust is the Lord. So, so we're going to look into that some. So we're looking at what a healthy heart looks like and what a sick heart looks like. And so for the sick heart, my first point is this. We're going to look at the man who trusts in man. All right, so look at uh, Jeremiah 17. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So the heart that is not well is the heart that trusts in man, that has its hope set in man, not God. So, so what does it mean? Uh, what does it look like to have your trust or your hope set in man? <clears throat> well, I think we would do well to go back to, to last week. We were in Jeremiah 13, and, and we see that the Lord's talking about Judah, and he says that they, what the Lord said about Judah, he said they had become good for nothing. And, and, and when he said they were good for nothing, he, he kind of uh, 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 described three things that made them good for nothing. And he said this, one of them was that they had neglected God's word, or, or, or to put it the way another book of the Bible puts it, they just began to do what was right in their own eyes. The, the second thing we read was that they began to follow their own stubborn hearts. And third, what flows naturally from neglecting God's word and from following your own stubborn heart is idolatry. And, and idolatry is just making something besides God central in your life. And, and you make that thing central because that is what you have hope in. That's the thing that you think, if this part works out, then, then all is well, then, then I'll be good. For example, it wouldn't be hard to imagine how someone might think dating or, or getting married would be like the, the best thing that can happen to them. That's their main problem they want to solve. And so when you think that, when you have your hope in this kind of this picture of my life in the future, that becomes central to you. And it's what you begin to move and adjust your life towards. And let me be clear, like the desire to date and marry, is, it's not some a bad thing. It's, it's very normal. But when a normal desire becomes the most important thing to you, when you dethrone God in, in a sense, then you're committing adultery because your hope is ultimately set in something besides God. 
Or it could be that you're applying for a job or looking for a promotion or looking for some kind of change in life. And there's someone who uh, they have the power to, to make that change, to, to hire you, to promote you, to move you or, or whatever. And you can think that, man, this person, it's, it's up to them. And your hope and your trust is set on them. And, and, and let me add this. You've never not gotten a job or promotion or had a change in location or something that God really wanted you to have. So there's not one thing in your life that you wanted to have happen that didn't happen, but, but God wanted it to happen. It was just disappointed it didn't work out because somebody made a mistake. Like whatever happens, God is in complete and total control. He's the one calling the shots. He is the one that is arranging things on the table. And it's not any person who is ultimately calling the shots. Now, another way to trust in man is just by simply trusting ourselves. We feel like we can fix just about anything, and as long as we're in control, everything is going to be okay. So depending on your personality, your kind of record of success, maybe you're a highly driven person, You, when most things come to you, you can kind of knock it out, and you notice other people don't thrive quite like you do, and so you have a lot of hope on yourself, and so you might be a bit of a control freak, and you don't like it when things get outside of your control. But either way, all of us need to have a concern that we might trust in man, even if that man is ourselves. So here's some diagnostic questions for us to consider. So you can know whether or not your trust is in man, your hope is in man. And just look here, we all struggle with this to some degree. So here's some questions to consider. Who are you counting on right now? There's somebody that can make a difference in your life and you're counting on them. Who do you need to make you happy? Who has the power to make you happy or to make you sad or to make you frustrated? Who do you need to get you out of a mess? What is it that makes you anxious? When you wake up in the night and that worry pops in your head, what is that thing that's squeezing you and making you anxious? What is it you're afraid of losing? And who is it that has the power to lift you up or break you down. And look, if your trust is in man, if your trust is set in man, it's going to be like a curse on you. Things will not go well for you. And look, everybody, we need to get this. This is an important thing for us to think through if we want to follow Jesus, because we all have traces in us of our hearts trusting in man, and it should make us nervous because things don't go well for us when we set our hope, our trust in man. And and look what our text says about the one who trusts in man. It says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. It says, he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So the lesson here is that if the hope of your heart rests in man, then you do not have a happy future. And and you will become like a shrub in the desert. And so get that picture in your mind, like like a shrub in the desert. You know what I think of when I think of a shrub in the desert? I think of this. Thirsty, needy, not thriving, not thriving at all. No one wants that. I don't want that. You don't want that. So let's not do that. Let's consider for a moment the idea of what does it look like to trust in the Lord? My second point, the man who trusts in the Lord. Look at verse 7 and 8 uh, in chapter 17. 
It says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So unlike a dry shrub in the desert, we have a tree planted by water. So the way I picture that, not thirsty, not needy, and thriving. And that person is not anxious, and they continue to thrive even in difficult times. I think this person becomes like the prophet Habakkuk, who once wrote this in his book, chapter 3, verse 17 of Habakkuk. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, yields, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord of my, in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So even when things went poorly, even when they're in a year of drought, as we read in Jeremiah 17, they thrive, they prosper, and they rejoice in the Lord. And that's what I want. I want to be like that. I don't want to be so needy for things to go right for me. Or I don't want to be so needy for people to, to treat me a certain way. And look, all of us want this, right? Like if we're given the option, do you want to be the dry shove in the, in, in the desert or do you want to be the tree planted by the water? All of us agree we want to be the tree planted by the water. Well, so then why don't we do it? And the reason is because we're not brains on a stick. Like we know the right answer. We mostly, all of us mostly know what we ought to do. So why don't we do what we, what we know we ought to do? And the reason is, is because we're not brains on a stick. We're ultimately controlled by our hearts. And is your heart healthy or sick? You want to know why you're doing what you're doing? You're frustrated with yourself? Something's wrong with your heart. And look, it, it takes, to, to really change, it takes a, a, a change in the heart. And the problem is this, Jeremiah 17, 9, y'all probably heard this, this before. The heart is sick and is deceitful above all things. So the heart, we're talking about the heart, we're talking about where our, our, our will, our motives, our desires come from. You know, because ultimately we all do what we want to do ultimately. And so that heart, our motives, it's deceitful. It's going to trick us. You know why you do what you do? You don't. Because your heart can be deceitful. So we're really in a tough spot because we need our hearts to change. And we can't really trust our hearts because they're deceitful. Our hearts trick us. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they thought they were great. Jesus was the problem. I mean, that's a deceitful heart. Uh, and, and, and the heart can make a person living in sin, turning away from God. That, that, that heart will tell them, hey, we're just having a good time here. No one's getting hurt. At least we're not like those uptight Pharisees, those religious people, wherever they're judging everybody. I mean, our hearts can, can get us backwards and twisted pretty quick. So what do we do? How do we change our hearts, because if our hearts change, then downstream from that is the desire to learn, to grow, to repent from sin, and, and to follow Jesus. So my third point or question is, how can we have a, a change of heart? All right, so first, we need to understand that the engine for change in us or anyone else is not more information. And, and, and it's, not, it's not a good book or a good sermon. That won't change the heart. And secondly... We can't change our hearts by trying harder. 
So it isn't by learning something or by doing something. Well, then how does it happen? Well, something outside of us has to change our hearts. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel said uh, when he was talking about the time that we are currently living in now, like you and me, the time that you and I are currently living in. Ezekiel spoke about it. It's the time of the new covenant. They were in the old covenant. We're now in in the new covenant. And Ezekiel said this, speaking of the day that we're in. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will give you a new heart. So for the Christian, for the person who has trusted in the work of Jesus, that Jesus died for their sins, and they've turned from following their own hearts to follow Jesus, these people have been given new hearts, new hearts that want to follow Jesus, that want to walk in his ways and obey his rules. And so like even going back to what I was saying before, like what happens with our, our, old, our, our old hearts, they, they neglect God's word, they follow their own stubborn heart, and they commit idolatry. And this new heart we give, it, it does the opposite. It goes to, it's drawn to the word to follow our new heart, to follow Jesus. And so one of the reasons we need to read the Bible as Christians is we have this, we have these messed up hearts. Because we have this lingering, deceitful heart in us that wants to, to, to follow our own stubborn heart. But we also have the spirit of Jesus himself in us, giving us a new heart. So we kind of have these competing desires. And that's one of the reasons we need to study the scriptures to know what our new heart wants. And look, for Christians, a lot of times when you hear the word of God and you see that the ways of God and you know you need to repent, you want to do it. Why do you want to do it? It's because God's given you a new heart. And look, here's another reason. We shouldn't be real judgmental for, for non-Christians or people not following the Lord. They haven't been given a new heart. You'd be doing the same. We'd be doing the same thing as them. Because change isn't a matter of just getting more knowledge. It's not a matter of just being more disciplined. I know when my life changed, it wasn't that I read more books. It wasn't that I tried harder. Actually, you know, one of the things that changed my life, it came after a season I tried as hard as I could and just couldn't do it. I thought I was never going to change. And in that moment, you know what? I was getting close to the kingdom of God because I knew I could not do it. So as Christians, we are in this interesting spots with our old hearts lingering that are, de- that are sick and deceptive. And they call us and they woo us. And look, we all have our own unique brands of sin, right? We don't all struggle with the same things. I don't struggle with some things y'all struggle with. Y'all struggle with things I struggle with. But we all have that unique calling, that wooing. And you hear it. I'll know it when it gets you. Maybe it's when it's quiet. Maybe when things are loud. But we all hear it. It's that old heart. But we also have this new heart. The Spirit of Jesus living in us, changing our desires, making us want to follow Jesus, follow His rules. And look, so... so, so Part of what we need to do as Christians is kind of understand this, this this dynamic where we have these kind of two hearts living in us, this old, wicked, deceptive heart uh, and this new heart, the spirit of Jesus in us. So how do we begin to discern the two? Well, that comes outside of us, too, because our God tests his people. So for us to know what's actually in our hearts, we need to know we need to be tested 
and the Lord tests our heart. Look at verse 10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So for me and for you, the Lord checks on our hearts from time to time. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible is for silver, for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Our God tests hearts. He tests your heart. He has tested your heart, and he'll test it again. He's tested my heart, and he will test it again. And so where does your hope really lie? What are you really trusting in? He's probably going to let you know. He's probably going to let you know. It might be a bit painful. And you're going to learn a lot from it if you're humble enough to consider it. And here are a few ways that God tests his people. One is Proverbs 27, 21. Again, the crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. And a man is tested by his praise. Isn't that interesting? You're going to be tested by your praise. What does receiving praise do for you? Does it thrill you like it does me? I love it. I really like getting praised. I like it so much, I might just live for it and arrange my life around it and hide things from people and try to manage my name and reputation so that people praise the name Kevin Shoemaker. And I can be down if I'm not getting enough. And you know what else? There's never enough. Always thirsty for more, like a dry shrub in the desert. Have you ever received enough praise and you're like, you know what? I think that does it. I think I'm set for life. No more encouragement needed. Full tank right here. Doesn't happen. You're always going to be thirsty. Sometimes the Lord might ask us to give up something. He did this Abraham. Genesis 22, read this. And these things God, and after these things, God tested Abraham. Y'all know the story. And he said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains for which I'm going to tell you. So God told Abram, Abraham to give up his son. You know, I've read some commentaries on this before, and I thought it was really interesting. One of the commentaries was saying, like, you know what? Like, it says that, that God was testing Abraham and that, you know, later he knew, so he knew what was in his heart. God knows all things. You know, God wasn't surprised how, how this went down. God knew what was going to happen. You know who needed to know this? Abraham. He was, you know, sometimes if you don't know the Bible well, you think it's a bunch of awesome guys doing awesome all the time. If you read, like, it's a bunch of fools like us. You know, they mess up over and over and over. And Abraham, man, that dude, he, he could hardly ever get it right. He messed up continually. But you know what? He had this one shining moment when he was, when he was willing to give up his only son. And God tested his heart. Abraham needed to know he really did trust God. And so the testing, it isn't just bad. The testing is good. You have a new heart, the spirit of Jesus in you. And so you should expect that God tests you and you come out well. You pass the test. Your heart does trust the Lord. Sometimes we're being tested with difficulties we're wrestling with. In 1 Peter 1, read this. uh, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God gives you these trials, and these trials are designed to make your faith, your trust in Him, what we want, more genuine. 
more real. So when you're going through a difficult time, consider that God perhaps is testing you and he's making your faith better, more, more authentic, more, more real. None of us want this kind of silly, you know, I don't know, this kind of faith that's just not real. You know what I mean? It really doesn't really get you through a good time. And when you're in a hard time, you hear these things, they sound cliche because they are. You want something firm. You want something real. When you really take a hit and you think, you know, I really do feel like I trust the Lord right now. I think He loves me, cares for me. I think He's got me. I think He's doing something in me. So we should even welcome and invite God to test us. Not in an arrogant way, like, God, test me. I think I'm awesome. I'm really, I think I can, I can pass. Like, no, no, I think it needs to be in a humble way, knowing that our hearts are deceitful and we need to let, be, be let in on it. Like, there's some places that we have our hope set and, and we, need to, we need God to, to expose that and show us where our hope is wrongly set. And we see this as the psalmist says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we need, to, we need to have this idea, Lord, would you search my heart? Help me to know my heart. Where is my trust set? And look, all of us have our trust located in somewhere outside of God. And we really, need, we really need to know where it is because it's like a curse when you have that set in man. You know, uh, one other thing I want to go over real quick is you know, Jeremiah 17, 9, where it says the heart is deceitful above all things. This is obviously true. But I think there can be a, a bit of a, a misunderstanding uh, about this, because in this, um, Jeremiah wrote this. We're in the we're in the old covenant, right? And look, I, I, like I believe that we are totally depraved, and that the heart is deceitful above all things. But sometimes, when people hold that idea, as as I do, they almost neglect the promises of of the new covenant. Or what we see in Ezekiel, where he will give us a new heart that calls us to want to uh, follow him and obey his statutes and rules. So God has given us a new heart given to us by God. So, so don't let this idea that we're sinful or totally depraved make you think that you're just awful and can't do anything good anyway. The spirit of Jesus himself in you, your capacity to follow Jesus and love other people is quite high. Like, this is, it's not something that you can do because you're awesome. It's something that you can do because Jesus is awesome and his spirit lives in you. So you actually have a very high capacity to trust and hope in God and to love others well. So we need to consider our hearts. Where does our trust and hope rest? Does it rest in man? If it does, it's not going to go well for us. Is there hope? Is there trust in the Lord? says that the man whose trust is the Lord. There's a slight difference between trusting in the Lord and your trust being the Lord. Sometimes trusting in the Lord is you want something else and God to provide that thing. And then there's another thing entirely when your trust is just simply the Lord. It's just Him. So trust in the Lord. Then for you, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor there be any fruit on the vine, you will rejoice in the Lord. You will take joy in the God of your salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness and mercy to sinners like us. We needed to be changed. Uh, More change was required of us than we had the capacity to do. And so you sent your son 
uh, to die for our sins, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. Um, and even gave us new hearts, soft hearts that love you, that love others, that, that lean on you and trust and hope in you. And so, Father, would you help us to place our hope in you uh, and to even uh, repent from where our trust is wrongly placed. In Jesus, in your name that we pray. Amen.